0: from hypebeast radio i'm jeff staple and this is the business of hype a show about creative entrepreneurs brand builders innovators and the realities behind the dreams they've built Today's guest on the business of hype is an up and coming young Enigma. She's a multifaceted designer known for her deconstructed and repurposed beautifully tailored pieces. But her mission is unique. She actually wants to extend the lifespan of pre existing product. Today, you are going to learn about the future of fashion and design from. Hold up, I feel like her name deserves a drum roll. You ready? Alexandra Louise Champion Hackett. Yes, that's her real name. And her initials make up the name of her label, Studio ALCH. But many of you might simply know her as Mini Swoosh. Her work is an amalgamation of materials from Nike tech wear, to duffel bags, to windscreen protectors, to NASA space foil, you name it, and she's most likely used it and flipped it into a new reusable product. The Australian-born London-based designer hasn't even hit five years in the industry yet, but she's left an impressive mark, having already worked with the likes of Pata, Kendrick Lamar, and Frank Ocean. In that very short amount of time, she has also shown at London Fashion Week, and she was even in Nike's 2017 Vote Forward campaign to design a custom Nike Air Max. Alex has a keen sense of design, being able to breathe life into anything, and I literally mean anything. Studio ALCH and her personal work, Mini Swoosh, are more than just reupholstered designs. They represent a new direction of sustainable fashion, and we get to witness as she rewrites the rules for fashion design. And as she says herself, the best thing to do with fashion is to maybe make nothing new at all. So let's get into this week's episode with Alexandra Louise Champion Hackett, aka Mini Swoosh. So let's begin. Sure. We are in Dubai right now um, at Seoul DXB. It's great to finally meet you in person. I know. I've been following your career path for a while now on social oh, media. Oh, thank you. Yeah.
1: Ditto. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you're you're you were saying you're a fan of the show. You listen yeah, to the show. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And so how's it feel now to be headphones on behind the mic?
1: I feel a little bit stressed. Uh, like a little a l- bit a little like bit on clenched. edge. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs>
0: Well, before we get too far, let's uh, do a proper introduction. Who do we have in the studio today?
1: Oh, my name is Alexandra Hacker, aka Mini Swoosh. Um, I'm a menswear designer based in London, but I'm a st- originally Australian.
0: Okay. So we have an Australian accent mixed with, blending in with a British accent now.
1: Yeah, a, a, lot of, a lot of different things. I went to an international school in Muscat. What's that? It's the capital of Oman, which is the country next to UAE. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking to like a stupid American? Nearby, nearby nearby-ish.
0: Oh, so you went to high school there?
1: Yeah, I did grade 11 there. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you are Mini Swoosh, but what's your brand name?
1: Studio ALCH.
0: Okay. What's ALCH?
1: It's my initials. So my full name is Alexandra Louise Champion Hackett. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's a dope name.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, Champion and Hackett are both menswear labels, so...
0: I see a collab <laughs> happening right now. Have you thought about this? Hackett, Champion, you all yeah. together?
1: They are very different markets. Hackett uh, is
0: like, um, for those who don't know, What describe Hackett. It's like, like really traditional, uh, right?
1: Polo. Um, Fred
0: Perry-ish. But even older, like it's...
1: Yeah, it's kind of like heritage. Um, like you pay polo in it, mm-hmm. like formal,
0: right. formal sportswear. Yeah. yeah, and you're a Hackett. Well, Are I, you a descendant of the... Th- like I feel the like episode?
1: everyone's a descendant of everyone almost, but <laughs> yeah. I don't th- I don't have any direct
0: Blood lineage to them. Like, yeah. There's no check coming in the mail every month. Or- no, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, where'd you go to college?
1: Is that university? Yes. Oh, yeah. I went to RMIT in Melbourne. What's that? Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology.
0: RMIT, okay. Yeah, so
1: you've been to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. You know in the city there's like that building with the green goo on the side? Mm-hmm. That's that's my uni.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. And you study fashion?
1: Yeah, so I did a Bachelor of Design in fashion. for like okay. four year.
0: Cool. Um, tell me which came first. The Mini Swoosh name or the fashion brand? Like when did chronologically which came first?
1: Mini Swoosh is new.
0: Oh Mini Swoosh is new.
1: Mini Swoosh is like three years.
0: Oh wow. And how about the yeah. brand?
1: So the brand I started when Instagram began. Okay. Yeah, I was just doing like Pieces all reconstructive, mm-hmm. like stuff out of IKEA bags, like mm-hmm. stuff out of trash I found on the street, um stuff out of crochet. yeah, literally I just make something new like every few days mm-hmm. and I would just post it on Instagram.
0: Under what account?
1: ALCH okay yeah
0: And this is like when Instagram started.
1: Yeah, so this is must be like, eight years ago mm-hmm. yeah
0: okay. and where were, were you in uni still?
1: Yeah, I was in uni, so I was doing like, I was just doing it as kind of like a hobby on the side while mm-hmm. I did my course. Uh, mm-hmm. And then like kind of like merged it into like what my I did in my course. Most of the stuff that I did for uni was very similar. Mm-hmm. Highly nice, yeah. like um, functional yeah. and like reconstructed. And right. like, like in my second year uni, I did a whole collection made out of NASA space foil. Mm-hmm. And like stuff made out of Tyvek. And mm-hmm. like, and then I did like a few capsules for like, uh, did a lot of like editorial work, like lending to stylists and Melbourne and stuff like that. Okay. And then mini swoosh came when I moved to London and That's I was it. like, oh, I should have a personal account mm-hmm. because I just have this like very public like brand account. Not that I had that many followers, but I was like, oh, maybe I'll do something for myself. Right. But then I'm obsessed with personal branding and I have been for a long time. So mm-hmm. even when I was doing it just as my own account, it was still like quite curated.
0: Yeah. Even so, now but the personal account, Mini Swoosh,
1: it's not really personal. It's
0: become like big, like yeah. it's like a business onto itself.
1: Oh yeah, it's probably bigger than my actual <laughs> brand account.
0: Isn't that weird? How that happens? C'est Do you have vi- an actual personal account now no. where you post pictures of pets and sunsets? No,
1: no, I actually don't really feel the need for that. Yeah, I'll, like so many of my friends just say they're like, oh, why don't you have like mm-hmm. this account? Like we could um share photos on it and I was I don't really feel the need to share photos of me and my friends.
0: Right, like having dinner. Yeah. Right.
1: So I have like a different uh multi directional like approach to Instagram. So like what I put out is quite public, but what I take back in it is quite private. Mm -hmm. So i Mm -hmm. like I follow all my friends. So when I scroll through my feed, I like see my friends and you know like see my dog, see like my mom's, like baking business. Like, like what I intake from Instagram is like quite personal, personal but I yeah. don't feel the need to put out anything that's too deeply personal.
0: Why do you think that is? Have you psychoanalyzed this?
1: Um, I mean, I have quite a positive approach to social media, mm-hmm. which I think is quite a safe approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I th- maybe it's like a protective thing. I don't really feel the need. To, I don't want to attract too much backlash if I don't need to have backlash. Yeah. and also I don't. Yeah, I like spending time with people in person. Mm-hmm. I'm very like, I don't really like to spend that much time on the internet. Uh, yeah. I'd much rather like get out there, mm-hmm. hang out with like good friends. Right, like in real life. Go to the pub. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny because so many people are always on their phones at so many events. And mm-hmm. I like to just go to the pub with my friends and not be on on my phone.
0: Right. I'm yeah. of the same mindset. Yeah. I have a brand account. I have the Jeff Staple account, which was personal but then became a brand.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the same. Yeah.
0: And I always I sort of want to have a personal one too to have like, but I never get around to it.
1: I'm so curated already, so uh-huh. I was like I feel like I would just end up curating that as well and Yeah. It's also an extra thing to do uh-huh. and
0: another account. Yeah, I don't right. really.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't need it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um so let's talk about prior to you starting any of the brands, right? I would assume and maybe my assumption's wrong, but looking at the DNA of like sort of what encompasses your, all the works that you do, you must have been super into like technical wear or sneaker culture. Like, was that something that was big in your life growing up?
1: Yeah. I'm re- like, it's funny. A lot of people who are like into trainers, like, uh, kind of grew up around a lot of mm-hmm. trainers or around those brands. But for me, I was really interested in the design perspective. So like, I love sportswear, like I love technical finishes And, you know, like, when I was, like, I must have been, like, I don't know, 17 or Mm -hmm. something, they, like, put out those first reflective Nike um, jackets, and Mm -hmm. they were, like, tape seams, laser cut, like, um, perforated. Perforated, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing it, like, on holidays with my parents, and I was, like, this is literally the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh This is incredible. Like, look at these zips. Yeah. And it was, like, quite an expensive jacket. And I was, like, Mom, like, I need this, like... And I was trying to explain it to her, like comparing it to like a leather jacket. I was like, this is an investment. People buy leather jackets. I buy this jacket. She's like, you'll never, like, why do you want this like (laughs) running jacket? (laughs) I was like, but it's just truly like the way that it's been crafted because like I've grown up like sewing, which is quite like a manual skill. But when you're looking at like tape fused garments and like perforated, like stretch reflective, I was like, this requires so much technology and it's just incredible.
0: Why do you think you were so enamored with that, if you can, like, even yeah. go further back? Like, was there something that you were into? Were you, like, an athlete growing up?
1: Um, I mean, I played, like, quite a bit of sport. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think it, most people play a lot of sport in Australia because it's so outdoorsy. Yeah. Um, I, like, interned when I was 14, 15 for, like, a bespoke, like, wedding dress mm. designer. Okay. <laughs> in um, Brisbane, where I grew up. Uh-huh. uh which is like a far cry from what I do now. But I remember like doing that and I was like, this is just the most incredible. Like I need to be part of this industry uh, at like 14.
0: Right. Is that where you learned how to sew and like really got your hands dirty with it?
1: I think I I got given a sewing machine by my parents mm-hmm. before that. It must have been like 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. And they just gave it to me on a whim. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a good. Try this. Birthday present, <laughs> yeah. And then like I was just. Like I just cut up everything inside. Like i I think one of the first things I made was like out of like curtains, mm-hmm. like a poncho
0: out of a shower. Really curtain.
1: ugly stuff and a matching dress, like with like birder patterns and like yeah, it was not great. Uh-huh. I did a lot of like women's wear and like evening wear, but I think that was just because of, like my internship and I was like, oh. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Did you always have like a sort of tomboy thing too?
1: Um. Yeah, I guess so. I was like really into sportswear, mm-hmm. like uh i guess like when i was like 18 like yeah. that's when it kind of started happening because mm-hmm. i think i just like grew up like quite feminine and then like realized there was this whole other thing and then just started wearing bike pants and t-shirts uh-huh and then just never stopped yeah <laughs> this <laughs> and is then too like comfortable 10 years later i'm still wearing the same thing <laughs> i was heavy into like neon still um went through a phase where i wore like neon colored lipstick uh-huh. and just like all black sports wear. yeah Let's just
0: say I'm glad. <laughs> That's over. That's past. That's over. <laughs> were there, I mean, obviously, due to mini swoosh, you know, Nike has a huge part in that sportswear. Yeah. But were there other brands, too, that you were really into?
1: Yeah. So I used I like used to wear, like, all brands. Okay. I used to make lots of um, black-colored sportswear, and then I would buy white ribbon on a roll and then sew it on three stripes.
0: <laughs> so make your own bootleg audio, yeah. basically? Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: bootleg everything. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love I love bootleg stuff uh, mm-hmm. yeah but yeah and then I um I got a job at Nike working in, in a factory outlet
0: okay a sales yeah in sales. Where, Australia or? in Australia okay. at a factory outlet mm-hmm. that's dope
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no it was really cool and that kind of just like when you start working somewhere you start wearing a lot of the stuff kind of naturally I was already wearing Nike like I love I loved the brand uh, I loved like mega brands and branding and that association with personal branding. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm obsessed with like McDonald's. I think it's fascinating. Uh I don't eat it, but I just, I love the branding. I love.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm with you.
1: Yeah. I think it's just really, I love the idea of like a logo that transcends like language Mm -hmm. and boundaries and you can place it on different things and displace how people feel or react to a product. Yeah. Just in relation to like a drawing, essentially. Right,
0: exactly. Like a vector art. Yeah, like, yeah. I think
1: it's fascinating.
0: I think it's like the new religion.
1: Yeah, 100%. It has like a
0: lot of religious, you know, undertones. And like whether you, I'm not saying whether it's a pro or a con, but it has that effect. Yeah.
1: yeah. I've, like, I've always been interested in like displacement and like appropriating mm-hmm. that. So like putting a logo that's originally like associated with something and then like transferring it onto something else. And I think that like there's like a power in that. and I find it really interesting.
0: What is it about bootlegging that you find so interesting?
1: I mean, I love DIY, Uh obviously. But I like the fact that you can take something that is um, authentic and then make it into something that's then no longer considered authentic. Mm -hmm. You know, people will come up and they're like, is this real Nike? And it's like, well, what is real Mm -hmm. Nike?
0: That's a big question.
1: And and (laughs) then obviously Nike's been around for so many years, it's like, even authenticating older nike it's like was that real or was that bootleg because mm-hmm. some of the older nike does look bootleg yeah so it's like
0: yep i know the other layered on debate here is like you know about factory variants so things that are made at an authorized nike factory yeah but that go out the back door are called bootleg but yeah the same people made it literally it just it's didn't.
1: literally the same <laughs> yeah. shoe it just doesn't
0: have like the barcode yeah it's bugged out
1: yeah i think that's really funny yeah
0: <laughs>
1: or when it'll be like numbered one to 500 and then there's like just all of these other ones that are <laughs> the same number and you're like
0: <laughs> right. it's
1: definitely made at the same factory but yeah i mean yeah
0: um okay so when did you have the um intention that you were going to actually start a brand was it in uni
1: um what well, was kind of like there wasn't really like a point at which I was like, "Okay, this is a brand." I was Still, like, oh, well, no, now, now <laughs> okay, there's now definitely okay. a point, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's definitely a brand, but it kind of just like evolved, and then it would be like, "Oh, you know, like a store wants to do something, I'll do a capsule for them," mm-hmm. and then, "Oh, like I'll do this mini range for um an editorial in a magazine," and yeah. like
0: it was like creations at first, right? Yeah, it was okay. just
1: kind of like very organic, like, mm-hmm. "Oh, this is what I like, you know, this is what I'm enjoying doing," and yeah. Yada yada yada.
0: Do you remember if there was a time where a store said we want to like purchase your creation?
1: Yeah. The first time like a like a store was like really interested was great in Tokyo.
0: Okay, G R A. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And I did like a capsule for them maybe mm. like five years ago.
0: Oh, so this is pre-mini swoosh.
1: Pre-mini swoosh, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So they, they reached out to Studio ALCH. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you create for them?
1: Uh it was like it was like a mini range. And it had uh, tracksuits made from car covers and wow. uh, like bomber jackets made from windscreen protectors. Uh-huh. And then I did like some like appropriated gear stick logo t shirts.
0: Mm-hmm. So it was all automobile sort of vibe. Yeah. Okay. And then
1: I did shirts made from um, like the other sunshades, like the black sunshades with like the sticky things that you stick onto.
0: Yep. Usually in the backseat. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. so it was all kind of like reconstructed stuff. Did they
0: brief you with that or you conceived of that concept?
1: Uh, I think I just conceived it. I was like, oh, this is what's available.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I live near a car wash.
1: (laughs) I was like, I'm really into cars at the moment. Um, Would you be interested in this range? I was Um, like, okay.
0: GR8 is one of like the most highly innovative retailers in the world. Yeah. And so for that to be your first order must have been yeah pretty they just reached out via dm or something email okay
1: yeah i got the email i was like (laughs) this is amazing i've made it (laughs) this is it
0: yeah seriously
1: little did i know that that was not it
0: (laughs) (laughs) that was not it was something
1: but at the time i was like this is incredible like i was just yeah
0: talk through um a little bit about like the finances of that so they came to you, create something, you conceived of what you're going to create, and then were you like, here's my pricing on it, or here's my fees? Like, how did you negotiate this?
1: Uh, yeah, I was like, this is the price.
0: <laughs> but you had to show them something first, right?
1: I'm trying, this is taking me back. I know, um, this is what we
0: do on this show. Yeah. <laughs> uh... That's what I'm trying like... I don't you think you either. Uh, here's the thing: you either I did showed a line them something. Sheet for yes, them,
1: I think. Right. Uh, I think I said these are the things I'm going to make, and then I sent them a line sheet. I think mm. I googled what do I send buyers, <laughs> um, and then I sent them a line sheet, and then that was the prices, and then.
0: Okay, so you you had little sketches, I guess, or not yeah. even yet.
1: Maybe, maybe bad photos. Bad okay. photos of like tech packs or yeah. something. Yeah.
0: And plus prices. And prices. Okay. It would
1: have been, I don't think there would have been a logo on the page. I think it would have just been...
0: (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Okay. And they said yes right away? Yeah. No negotiation. Like, no, like, oh, this is too much. Okay. No.
1: I don't think I charged that much. Uh,
0: Did you feel like at the end of it, like, well, you just said it. You don't think you charged Yeah, I don't think so. Okay.
1: Pricing is difficult. Why? Still. I mean...
0: Yeah, explain why.
1: Um... Well, it's hard to you have. There's so many more elements than just you know, like this is the cost price times by fifty for wholesale, times by two point seven more or less for RRP. Mm-hmm. Like that's a very Retail, general. Yeah. What did you call
0: it? RRP. 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 Which is what stands for what?
1: Uh, Registered retail price. Okay. Recommended retail. Recommended. Price. Okay. Cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You got it. You yeah. you got there. Um, um, it's just in different countries they call it different. Yeah. Things. Someone America, said MS, it's MSRP. Yes. Yeah,
1: someone yeah. said that to me the other day, and I was like.
0: And then in other me? parts of Asia, it's SRP. So I never heard RRP. But it all means the same thing. Yeah.
1: RRP. Yeah. Like the retail, the retail price you pay for it in yeah. a store. So like, there's that framework, but in reality, you need to factor in so many other costs. And then also yeah. you need to think about where does your product sit in the market? Mm-hmm. Where does your where do you want to like align your brand? Yeah. And then I mean it's easy if you look at the price of a T shirt. Some people charge forty dollars. Mm-hmm. Some people charge one thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. Essentially it's the same cotton. thing. It's
0: essentially cotton, yeah.
1: But it's you have to figure out like where in the market you sit.
0: Mm-hmm. So And you're still in the midst of trying to those- solve that um, puzzle or you feel like you're I, in a good place?
1: I'm pretty strict on my pricing. I like to keep everything like as affordable as possible. Mm-hmm. So I'd usually work on that. I think that's a good framework to work by. <laughs> yeah. But also like, I just like product to be accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of expensive product out there. Yeah. And I don't think the general population have that kind of money.
0: Right. Alex brings up a powerful point here. A logo can transcend language. Just through a simple graphic design, an entire brand's ethos can be captured. Imagine some of the most iconic logos that you can think of right now. What pops into your head? Was it the golden arches, a black swoosh, a rainbow apple, a green mermaid, maybe a red target? And how did you feel after you pictured the logo? What emotions came into play? A good logo has the power to affect you emotionally, good or bad. Logos wield some serious power. And for long-standing brands, there is a story that's built. And the story is sometimes called nostalgia. And that nostalgia claims loyalty. Nike is one of a small handful of brands that has accomplished this stature. It's more than a sneaker or an airbag. It's more than a logo or a slogan. It is every emotional attachment you've ever had growing up with the brand that gives it its immense power. And no, this isn't a Nike sponsored episode, but hearing Alex's love for Nike reminds me of the concept that logos are our new religious marks. They've become our mantra. They influence how we look, what we buy, perhaps even where we put our careers. But what's fascinating about Alex is that she never thought about actually working at Nike. She ingeniously turned her admiration for the brand into sort of an anthropological study. Her constant dissection, tinkering, and editing eventually became the DNA for her own brand. There's something symbolic about her early days that then allowed her to put her own spin on the brand and actually breathe completely new life into it. You see, good design is more than just a logo or a piece of fabric. It's about the stories that you want to tell and what you are personally trying to contribute to that story. After GR8, what was like sort of the next big win for you as a Um, designer?
1: Oh, so I did this editorial for a magazine in Australia called Acclaim Magazine. Oh, yeah. Um, I know Acclaim Magazine. Yeah, they're they're really cool. And they uh, asked if I wanted to do an editorial for them. Okay. So that was like my first like big photo shoot, I guess. So you
0: like styled it, creative directed it?
1: Yeah, I made all of the clothing for it. All of the clothing was made from um, construction site packaging. Mm -hmm. So I used to go to construction sites like at like 3 a.m. in the morning and then like go through the bin outside Mm -hmm. um, and like just get like packaging and then I'd like wash it in the shower Uh and then I'd like make new things out of it. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah and was that for sale or just editorial? No, not for sale. Okay.
1: Just I just did the editorial.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um how about after that?
1: Um well then I had like fourth year so I had like a graduate collection. Oh, this is
0: all while you're in school, still. Oh, yeah, I'm still uni. Oh my god. Yeah. The GR8 thing was while you're a student?
1: That was Oh, that was right at the end. Okay. Uh, Cuz that was just before I moved to London. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Um, wow. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so after you graduated, what was it?
1: So I I moved to London like six months after I graduated. So I was also working at Nike in this time, like just doing working sales. Yeah, factory outlet. Yeah, the factory outlet.
0: Why did you decide to move out of Melbourne?
1: Um, It's quite a small industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, big fish, small pond uh, is what a lot of people (laughs) say Mm. about Melbourne. I love Uh, Melbourne. Yeah, it feels like um, creatively there's quite a low ceiling and also g- generally just geographically Australia is quite removed from Europe or America. And although it's it's just a time difference, you do feel quite removed and, also, and then there's so many logistics involved, uh, you can't really, it's difficult to operate a brand at an international level from Australia when you're just starting out. There's yeah. a lot of successful brands that do that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I wanted to gain experience in the industry, work for a couple of people.
0: Mm -hmm. And why did you pick London?
1: Um, To be honest, visas.
0: Like it it was a country that you could easily go to. Yeah, it was a country (laughs) I could go to.
1: People are always like, "Mm, yeah, why did you pick? I'm like, you can't just, they don't tell you that when you're younger, that you can't live wherever you want. Right, there's
0: rules and passports and stuff. You've got to
1: get visas and, you know... It's not that easy. You yeah. can't be like, oh, mm, I want to go and, you know, live here for a while. Yeah, it's true. It's, it doesn't work like that. Right.
0: So did you obtain a job in London? Like, a, did you ever work for any other yeah, so right.
1: Yeah, I used to work for Christopher Shannon. Oh, okay. So, like, a were label. Mm-hmm. So I interned for him and then I ended up working for him for a while.
0: Mm-hmm. Any other jobs?
1: I mean, I also worked at foot patrol and I also worked at a, at a pub.
0: Okay. So I used to, like,
1: go from one job to the pub at night and, you uh-huh. know, and then I would do, like, side projects, like, online drops and stuff. I was just juggling a lot of things. That's
0: so, awesome.
1: But yeah, I got, fo- I got, I applied for Foot Patrol, like, as soon as I got
0: to London. Yeah. And for those who don't know, Foot Patrol is, like, one of the coolest top tier sneaker boutiques in the world, right?
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: that allowed you access to a lot of great shoes, I assume.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's yeah it's in Central. It's in Soho. Mm-hmm. It's been around for a really long time. I remember when I applied, I, like, walked past the store because I was like, I'm going to go apply. And then I walked past. I was like, oh, this looks a bit intimidating, intimidating. in there because it's quite a narrow yeah. store. It's literally and, the
0: size of a shoebox. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like,
1: all of the guys that worked there were just, like, there. There was, like, no women in the store, like, shopping or anything. I was like, oh, this is a bit much yeah. uh, I was like no I'm gonna do it went in I was like I need to speak to the manager
0: <laughs> I need to speak to the manager I was like
1: can I speak to the manager and then I spoke to him and I was like this is my resume I'd done it like a very professional resume you mm-hmm. know like had pictures of my work and you know okay. a lot of color happening mm-hmm. uh, I was like gotta make, gotta make a stand out um, yeah and then I got called back for an interview nice yeah
0: so at this point when you're juggling an internship, and a retail job and a pub job too. Yeah. Are you just like working towards a goal that you had in mind or you're just like figuring stuff out right now?
1: Um just trying to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I guess I mean I was just enjoying being in London. i just moved there. Yeah. I was just, you know, it takes a while to break into like mm-hmm. a scene or like an Get industry in a roots. different yeah. yeah, in a different like city. So like I'd moved from Brisbane to Melbourne. So I'd done it in Melbourne and I was like Alright, like to just to tackle a new city and a new industry is quite it's a task. So mm-hmm. I was just taking it day by day. Still yeah. doing like my like ALCH stuff on the side, just mm-hmm. like little things. And then
0: And then mini swoosh somewhere around in London. Happened. Yeah, so
1: then I was working at FP. Uh-huh. I think I'd started my personal account just before I left for okay. London, but it wasn't really anything. It was mm-hmm. like a couple of photos. And then yeah, I was like, oh, I'm gonna change my name and Pedro, who used to be assistant manager at FP, he was. We were just like looking at shoes, and we were like, "Oh." He was like, "What? What's like your favorite part of the shoe? Maybe we should do something about that." He's like, "What about mini swoosh?" I was like, "Oh, mini swoosh sounds great." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Let's see if it's available on Instagram."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's available. I was like, all right, I guess, I guess that's it.
0: Wow! So you owe Pedro mini swoosh.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> he holds me to that. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> he reminds you all the yeah.
1: time. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting for the royalties. Right. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you you got the name and then you start posting like it's again. You said it was curated and you started posting sort of like these creations on it right away. Yeah.
1: So I'd been wear, I'd been making a lot of custom Nike just for me to wear. Yeah. Just. I'd already been wearing stuff like to go out and like just. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't posting it anywhere because I didn't really feel like it related to what I was doing with ALCH. Yeah. Because it was just it was just all Nike and it was very per it was just personal stuff I was wearing. Right. And I was like, I don't really want to post photos of myself on ALCH anymore. was uh-huh. so like, oh I'll just post them here. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was very into like well, I still am. I love the idea of a personal brand. Mm-hmm. Personal brand is like a term that's very common now. Yeah. It's but five five to like ten years ago, no Didn't one spoke exist. about that. No. And five to ten years ago I was obsessed with it. I was like I love this idea of like Nike and McDonald's and then like mm-hmm. you yourself having a brand.
0: Yeah, But right.
1: nowadays it's commonplace. But yeah. back then I was like, it's, you know, you need to embody yourself mm-hmm. uh, and who do you represent?
0: Uh. Yeah. And so as you're representing yourself, were people requesting that like, I saw that thing that you made for yourself. Can I buy one? Was that happening already?
1: Um, yeah, I don't sell much though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just like making it for myself.
0: But then how did it evolve to what we see now, which I'll tell you how it looks like from an outsider, but yeah. I don't know much about your business yeah. until I find out soon. <laughs> but it looks like there's a, in like, let's call it an in-house brand called Studio ALCH, which is your brand, your creations from yeah. scratch. And then there's like another division that is remade, repurposed, usually Nike things. Yeah. Is that, do I have it right? Yeah. But both are for sale. Both are available for sale for the mm, most part, right? No. So, okay. <laughs> it's
1: a bit complicated. Basically, I consider um, Studio ALCH to be like an overarching concept that mm-hmm. kind of covers multiple different elements. So, on one hand, we have kind of the wholesale side of the business where we do mainline collections mm-hmm. um, with where, a label
0: called AL- ALCH. Yep, okay.
1: Where we show at London Men's Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. Um, And we wholesale to various stores across the world. And we kind of explore this idea of functionality, uh, sustainability, um, all of that within that capsule range. And we show that twice a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we also, in addition to that, do a lot of reconstructed things. Mm -hmm. So we do Nike projects. Uh, We also do, yeah, reconstructed kind of like Found umbrellas or found materials. Okay. We do like limited runs of those sorts right. of things. Because
0: they're limited by whatever you can claim. Yeah. 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 Okay. But
1: uh so we have that side, and mm-hmm. then I guess also Mini Swoosh kind of falls into that as well. Okay. That's um, you as a your personal. As brand. an entity, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's cool. Yeah. And in this universe of Studio ALCH, yeah. how many people work in it?
1: Um on paper, one and a half. <laughs>
0: I love it. Who's the uh, half?
1: <laughs> the half is uh, my boyfriend who manages sales. Uh-huh. And then like I have like a lot of like a couple of freelancers. I say a lot, a couple.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A couple of freelancers that yeah. do like bits and bobs.
0: Was that your boyfriend in, this, in the booth at Seoul? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay.
1: And that's about it. Wow. But of course, I do have a finance team. Um, you know, a logistics management firm and, you know, all of it's these.
0: outsourced finance and logistics. I'm being sarcastic. Oh, no. I, <laughs> are you shipping all orders and like...
1: Um, yeah, basically.
0: Who's handling the money? Me. <laughs> so you're making sure the accounts pay you and stuff?
1: I do accounts.
0: Oh, my I God. I do
1: um, production, shipping, logistics. <laughs>
0: um. <laughs> I feel bad like keeping you here i feel like you have to go pack a box and chase down an order right now
1: oh i'm doing that onto the table <laughs> on my phone <laughs> oh, um, this
0: is awesome so it's like really like hands-on with yeah with you. yeah and yeah. where's um the manufacturing for the most part
1: um so we do some in-house and then we do some in portugal okay so yeah like outerwear in okay Portugal. yeah
0: um is this your only job now yes Cool. Yeah. So it's, you can it's
1: more than a full-time job. Yeah.
0: But I wanted to see if like you can sustain you and your boyfriend, like this two person. Well, he,
1: he does other work as well. Okay.
0: Yeah. But it can sustain yourself.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's levels. Yeah. I think there's like a big misconception about brands uh, like that are starting up, uh, that there's really not that many people mm-hmm. that you can have working for you.
0: What you mean the misconception is that you're bigger than you look?
1: um yeah right yeah yeah
0: I, I thought you were bigger bigger not yeah. not to say it in a bad way I think it's actually amazing that you're doing it hands-on but from an outside since we just met it felt like you had like a studio with like a bunch of designers and like an army of people cutting and sewing and yeah it's good you're- <laughs> I mean
1: that's the reality of the industry like <laughs> I feel like you study for four years to be a designer. And then if you actually really want to have your own label, like 95% of your time is not designing. Yeah. 95% of your time is like account management, figuring out your taxes, like <laughs> learning how to do like dealing with the factories. Like it's a lot. It's just yeah. logistics really. Right. It's just emails all day.
0: What is the least favorite thing that you do? There's what do so, I pick? There's so <laughs> there's many. So many. <laughs> I know there's so many least favorites.
1: Um, Emails. Yeah. You know, you can sit down at your desk mm-hmm. and not get up for like five hours and somehow have only been on Gmail.
0: Yeah. It's and, wild. And you haven't made a dent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's just consistently Right.
0: You know what's the worst about emails, like it's sometimes it's like a ping pong match where you just like you've sent out five hours worth of emails and then yeah. they just all come back at
1: you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I waited 2 days. Please, please <laughs> wait 2 days.
0: <laughs> yeah. The best the best uh, invention they made with Gmail is the um the schedule send. Have you played with this? Oh no. You should fuck with this. Schedule send so you can type out the email, hit Schedule send, and be like 9 a.m. tomorrow. Send oh. this out so it's you can just breathe for 12 hours, and they don't like reply back right yeah, away. Yeah, see,
1: I love the weekend just because no one can email me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Friday. Well, night, they can, send.
1: but they don't expect a reply till Monday. Yeah, I just I live for the weekend for lack of emails. So. Right.
0: Okay, so the inbox management sucks for you. <sighs> yeah. How about the finance? Do you like dealing with like?
1: Oh, no, I don't like doing <laughs> –
0: <That's>
1: I, <laughs> uh, I quite like uh, management, so, like, getting everything sorted for taxes and, like
0: – Oh, organizing paperwork Yeah, and like, stuff. I quite yeah.
1: like organizing, but um, it's very different working for another brand and then when you work for yourself in terms of, like, just, like, the pressure and, like, everything feels, like, a lot more directly affecting you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: you're responsible for yourself. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So it's like when you when you have an issue and you work for someone else, it doesn't feel like it's your personal issue. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it's you, it's like, oh, this is this is my problem that I need to...
0: And you're more inspired uh, to solve that problem because yeah, it affects yeah. you directly. You're like, oh, I really <laughs> need to sort this out. Huh? Yeah, right. Ah, personal branding. We hear it all the time, right? Much like what we discussed earlier about logos transcending language, it is equally important in discovering your personal brand. When I interviewed Alex, I made the mistake of not knowing what came first, Studio ALCH or Mini Swoosh. It was actually the studio. But honestly, despite not knowing, I don't think it even mattered. And that's because Alex's personal brand is so damn strong. Her personal arm, Mini Swoosh, can stand alone with or without its studio counterpart. Now, Studio ALCH is the professional namesake label, whereas Mini Swoosh is the more free-flowing, unfiltered, and experimental side of the designer. She has, in a way, unintentionally created two brands. And this reminds me a lot of former guest Tremaine Emery. He has his brand, No Vacancy Inn, and then there is his personal brand, Denim Tears both are equally popular enough to stand on their own as brands, much like that of Alex's business. And I've had experience with this too. I recall when my brand staple was everything, but then almost by accident, a personal Jeff Staple brand began to develop. And I will never forget the day that the Jeff Staple Instagram account surpassed the Staple Pigeon brand account. And to be honest, it felt bittersweet. Alex says it herself that just five, 10 years ago, it wasn't even a thing. But today, with so many competing brands out there, it's important that designers find a means to differentiate themselves from others. The days of designers hiding behind the shadows is like no longer a thing. People want to get personal and are curious about everything. Who is making their clothes? How are they making it? What is the personality behind the brand? And What do they stand for? I often wonder if this is an effect of reality television. But think of when a new designer takes over a luxury label Virgil for LV, Raf for Prada, and most recently, Matthew Williams for Givenchy. All these designers have successful labels of their own and successful businesses, but it is their strong personal branding that has given them access into designing outside of the labels that they've built. Um, you've now been to Nike, right?
1: Yeah, twice. Okay.
0: Yeah. So let's let's talk about you as a person who was just sort of like... Um,
1: working at Foot Patrol.
0: You know, there was a point where you were working at Foot Patrol, you were sort of doing these um, unauthorized slash bootleg slash art creations. There's yeah. a fine line between all of this, and we, yeah. we acknowledge that. But when was the first time that Nike actually reached out to you?
1: Um. So I guess like working in, like, Foot Patrol is one street over from the Nike London uh head office. Okay. So and it's in Soho. You working there, like a lot of people come through. Yeah. You know, like loads of people come through. Um it's definitely like a hot spot for like streetwear and like the industry. Sneaker culture and the industry, yeah. like, you know, so you meet a lot of people just working in the store, you know, whether you're serving them or if they've just dropped by, like um yeah, so I guess I just, like, started meeting quite a few people. You go to industry events, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you're wearing your creations at the job. So, like, if, yeah. a, if a Nike employee comes in and they're like, where'd you get that from? And you're like, I made it. Is that how yeah, I it, guess, the conversation yeah. would start?
1: Um, yeah, mo- I guess most of it would just be, like, maybe i like, I'm a huge Nike fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'd be like, okay, sure. <laughs> I was like, no, no, like, <laughs> I love Nike. <laughs> I only wear Nike.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're like,
1: yeah, loads of people are like that. I was like,
0: no, no. (laughs) You don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. And then just like
1: every time you see them, be like, I'm still a Nike fan. (laughs) Don't know if you know, but (laughs) Um, yeah, I guess I just like met a few people Mm -hmm. who worked at Nike. Um, This is really taking me back. I'm trying to remember. Um, Yeah. And I guess. The first thing I probably did was vote forward.
0: What? Was vote forward. Oh, vote forward. For Nike, yeah. Which is the... Is that associated with Air Max Day in some way?
1: So that was the competition that I was in with Sean. Okay. Yeah, so... So it was the
0: same year that Sean Witherspoon... I didn't know this. This is news to me. So yeah, so
1: Sean Witherspoon won the competition I was in. Okay. Yeah, so... um, so forward was like twelve people from all over the world, mm-hmm. twelve different creatives, and we all got to design our own Air Max. Okay, and then they went up for public voting. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, yeah.
0: Um, Have you heard the Sean Witherspoon episode? Yeah. <laughs> was it was it a harrowing experience? I,
1: <laughs> the best thing to do is to stay positive <laughs> and. Um, a friendly no, competition. Yeah. Yeah, Sean's great. He's such, yep. he's such a funny person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was re- like, doing the competition was really great, like to meet different people and like, mm-hmm. but yeah, what we got, I got asked to come to the Nike office about like a project. Mm-hmm. Had like no expectations, you know, I don't think I'd even been in the Nike office. yeah. Uh, you know, and I was like, oh, this is just amazing. And then like, I got given this letter and they were like, just read the letter and then let me know. And it was like a letter, that was like, would you like to be part of like, vote for it? And I was just like, Like, almost crying. I was like, yes, like, of course I would, like, Mm -hmm. and yeah.
0: That's amazing.
1: Signed an NDA, yeah. you know.
0: Did you um, design it all by yourself? Like, you just went to work straight away and started designing it?
1: Yeah, I kind of, I didn't really know what the barriers around it would be. So, you know, like, what parameters there are, Uh you know, like, are we allowed to do this? Are we allowed to do this? But I was just like, oh, I just, I knew, I was like, I want to put all of, like, the like OG Air Maxes in one. Mm-hmm. It's like that's what I want to do. Like I wanna make it all in one Air Max. And then I just like played around with it a lot.
0: Yeah. I want to look this up. Wait, just so I have it in my head. Is it under um ALCH?
1: Uh it will be on there, but I think
0: Or like what name did they attach to the vote forward? Mini Swish. Oh really?
1: Yeah. Yeah so like prior to that like I'd already been doing like quite a lot of reconstructed nike that i was wearing in the store and you know wearing on a saturday to a release and like mm-hmm. you're very much like within the community when you work for a sneaker store yeah like i'm like so glad that i had that experience uh, and i think i think if you're into trainers at some point you should work retail mm-hmm. for a trainer store
0: 100 percent agree
1: like doesn't matter if it's like a nike factory outlet or you know like a top tier like retailer like work for like size or like JD like have some sort of experience because like it's it's just like understanding the whole system and then like it's like just such a great experience also I think
0: the importance of understanding like what real people who walk into a store want like it's one thing to just read Hypebeast all day but when you just see moms and dads and their kids walk into a sneaker store and just look at stuff like seeing what real people want is
1: the majority of the sales that you're putting through are not to like bees mm-hmm. or like people like trainers yeah. it's like just like everyday people who yeah. come in and they're like oh yeah i like this shoe and yeah
0: you know like what i find funny is so like, many
1: funny stories
0: like the people who go into a store and like try shoes on like People who are hypebeasts don't try shoes oh, on yeah. anymore, you know, but there's people that are like, let me try eight pairs of shoes on and then pick one like, no, but that's like, yeah, you want to know if I they're know. comfortable, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I love the people who are like, yeah, I, uh, I'm am a 12. I'm a mm-hmm. You're not a 12.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: get you a 12. But it's I'm also going to get big. you a nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and let me know how that one
0: feels. Right. It's big.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I love it. I was saying the other day, like, I, like, I kind of miss working. Like just retail, like on the weekend, mm-hmm. uh, just like being in the culture, like hanging out with my friends, like because like Foot Patrol is like quite close knit, you know. There's probably like eight staff members, yeah. And like at the time that we worked there, it was just like such a good time because it's like eight of your friends and you all just work there and right yeah. sell kicks and talk to people who love kicks and yeah.
0: like talk shit. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> like I know. Uh, it's, it's I so much fun
1: and like there was like there's no stress when you work retail when you're just yeah. a sales assistant yeah. you know i just get to pick a great outfit to wear or like make something the night before go into work see what's coming out on delivery like
0: uh-huh. yeah you feel
1: like so in the know when you're like well i know what's coming out tomorrow
0: <laughs> right tomorrow right yeah. <laughs> um so how did that vote forward thing what did that do for your career at that moment
1: uh yeah i mean that's just that's kickstarted everything yeah i mean i had like maybe like 6000 followers
0: at that point pre before. vote forward
1: uh-huh. and then like it just escalated basically overnight when vote forward happened uh, really yeah i just wake up with like thousands of new followers uh, it's crazy it's weird going from like yeah it's just weird having a lot of followers mm-hmm. sometimes you forget i don't really treat it that i have the same approach that i had you know when i had 2000 followers yeah
0: yeah and then um, you've been out to Beaverton, right?
1: Yes. So we went out for Vote Forward. Okay. Um We went out for like two days and saw the campus. Again, I think what I, I almost like? cried. I was yeah, like, this yeah. is such a dream come true. Like you just never think that you're going to go there. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, it's, it's incredible. You like come down the, like the drive and they've got like the big signs. And <laughs> it's yeah. like
0: going to the wizard of oz
1: yeah yeah and then they've got like a big like gallery display like right in the entrance Mm -hmm. you can ride the bikes (laughs) yeah it was great what were they having you do there so we had kind of like an intensive design session i Mm -hmm. guess to like we had to like put the designs into like 3d render them i guess Yeah. yeah um Yeah, it was very quick. We had like two hours.
0: And everyone else was there. So Sean was there. Sean was
1: there, yeah. Yeah. So all 12 of us were there. Pretty sure it was 12. Um, Yeah, and then we all just like had to do this quickly, render this design that we've done. Right. I mean, I'd more or less come with my design already. Uh So I was like, this is it.
0: Yeah. I don't want to change
1: it. (laughs) I actually have like a few different options Uh and like ideas. And I was like, which one of these is doable? I was like, I want to make a shoe that's just entirely Air Max. It's just Air Max everything. Mm-hmm. They're like, mm, I don't think we can do that. I was like, you know, like the whole, it's like just air. Like it's an air oh, bubble on the top. It's a big air like, bubble. What's well, like an Air Max unit with like air bubble uh-huh, sides? Yeah. And like, I was like, they're like, mm, I don't think so. And then I was like, okay, I want to make a shoe that's just <laughs> made out of other shoes. Like Nike grind, but the whole shoe is Nike grind. Uh-huh. They're like, I don't think that's possible. I don't think, I don't know if we have the technology for that. I was like, okay. I was like, what about this <laughs> shoe that's all Air Maxes in one? I was like, like this, you know, like has this paneling from like the 95, swoosh from the 90. Like, mm-hmm. like we can work with this. So, yeah.
0: You're like a comedian firing off jokes. Like, I got another one for you. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> okay.
1: Going through my notebook. They're was like, like, what no. about this? What about this? They're like, okay,
0: never mind. Plan B. <laughs> all right, I got plan C for you. Here you go.
1: What about this? <laughs> I'm like, all right. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, I remember my first time going to Beaverton. It, you sort of know like when you have to leave, right? But you're, you're like there, there's this anxiety of like, I need to get everything. I need to talk to everyone because yeah. I don't know when I'm going to be back ever.
1: I know. <laughs> right?
0: So you're like, how do I get a job? <laughs> how do I yeah. never leave?
1: Have you been to um, Blue Ribbon Studio? Yeah.
0: Oh. That's a new thing. Blue Ribbon Studio, BRS is new. Yeah. It's made for people like you.
1: Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. I was like, this is, you have like a 3D printer or a stonewash machine. Like you have all of like this technology and like mm-hmm. this incredible studio and like, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I did like, after Vote Forward, I went back and did a workshop there. Wow. Yeah.
0: So was, that's a separate thing, just you. They just invited you back to do a workshop at BRS?
1: Yeah. And I did a workshop with like uh, some staff members.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was more apparel focused?
1: uh so we we got together like loads of different resources like Mm -hmm. stuff from like goodwill like vintage nike from goodwill like shoelaces like shoes inner soles just like anything that we could like they could find and put together and then we just did like a workshop about like making like new things out of those pre-existing objects
0: Alex has some wise words of advice here, work in retail. For many of you out there listening, if you wanna get your first taste of the industry, go out there and work at ground level. And for most people, including yours truly, working retail is the easiest way to get your foot in the door. And retail gives you so much inside knowledge that just can't be taught anywhere else. You can scour Hypebeast endlessly, cop the dopest shoes, make a huge profit on StockX, and even have some IG clout. But none of it, and I mean none, will give you the immeasurable knowledge of working hands-on in retail. It comes as no surprise to me that Alex's success can be linked to the time that she spent working at a Nike factory outlet store, and then later at top-tier retailer Foot Patrol. I mean, you learn responsibility, responsibility. You observe buying patterns. You learn patience, dealing with customers. And most importantly, if you're lucky, you build your network. No matter how highbrow or lowbrow the store is, Alex didn't care because she found it as a way to be involved in the community. And I myself have worked in multiple mall-based retailers like Foot Locker, Athletes Foot, and The Gap, and then at a major New York City institution called Paragon, and then of course, All this intel allowed me to open up my own store called Space, which eventually became a top-tier retailer itself. It might seem like common sense, but think about the culture that comes from neighborhoods like Covent Garden, the Lower East Side, Harajuku, or Fairfax. The first step to physically getting into the community is by going out and walking into the shop and meeting like-minded people. If you caught our previous episode with homi san of Atmos Japan, he said it best It's the fucking people, man. It's the stories. Without the stories and the nostalgia, these are just cotton tees and leather shoes. The stories is what makes this whole thing so special. So overall, is Nike the company encouraging of you to do what it is that you do? Like cut up, slice up? and make your own Nike pieces? Um, <laughs> what is your thought on this?
1: I mean, like, I have, like, quite a, like, open relationship with them.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a, you're talking, we're still talking about Nike, right? Not, yeah. Not,
1: <laughs> As in, like, everything that I do is, like, kind of, like, an homage to them. Yeah, you know, like, and it's, it's respectful. It's, it's not, all yeah. done, like, because I love the brand so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I think there's a difference between, like, mass producing and printing a swoosh on something. Yeah. So like making like a, something that's like handmade and, you mm-hmm. know, like out of a pre-existing product and you yeah. know, like upcycling.
0: What about when you make things like the two objects that I recently saw, which was like a lounge chair made of socks and like these huge throw pillows made of what were those made out of
1: gym socks yeah
0: Yeah. like so you're now going into categories like home furnishings and stuff that they don't do i
1: love nike furniture but Um, do they
0: do you get like people hitting you up about like
1: those were made for um an event in melbourne for amex day oh so those
0: were like sanctioned
1: well we did we did an event for them Mm -hmm. um a friend and i did this event for amex day in melbourne and I was like, oh I'll I'll make all this furniture for the event. yeah, and like so that we like to put in the put in the space for mm-hmm. people to enjoy. Um
0: Did did they have to approve all of that stuff? Or you just I didn't? think I
1: pitched to them. I was like, uh-huh. Yeah, I want to do this chair with made out of socks and I wanna do these bean bags, you know, and I wanna do this bench made out of this and mm-hmm. they were like, Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> they trust you now. Yeah. Is there I is like, there like so a... I made all the stuff. Yeah.
1: I did the new Melbourne Nike office. They commissioned me to make some pieces in there as well. Wow. Yeah. So they have like a sock lounge in there. And then I did these other covers made out of um, uncut fly knit shoes, mm-hmm. like fabric.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I just got this vest harness yes. that's made out of a single duffel bag. A single duffel bag? bag. Yeah. a single duffel bag. Yeah.
1: So we unpick the entire thing, uh-huh. uh, which takes a couple of hours. Um, and then everything gets pressed, cut. We use all of the original binding from like the inside of the back, all of the original zips, trims, everything.
0: Yeah, buckles, everything, Yeah, right? so
1: there's like less than 5% waste. Of, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, but, okay, so just to, so everyone understands the business model, you're buying a duffel bag at a store. Yeah. And then you're cutting it up yourself, resewing it, and then you're reselling it.
1: Yeah, Is that where,
0: does Nike ever say like, can we get some money from that? <laughs> <laughs> like, can we get a check for that? Um, it's, it's You have to admit it's a little gray, right?
1: Yeah. I think because we do highly limited quantities. Yeah. Very rarely. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing's mass-produced. It's all bespoke, handmade. Yeah. And then we also do work on a lot of projects which are directly with Nike. Yep. So it, in that case, we're, we're working directly with them Mm -hmm. yeah
0: that's where the open relationship part comes in it's like you do stuff directly with them but you also do stuff renegade on your own sometimes yeah that's cool
1: but yeah
0: no it's 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 very interesting this gray area of like
1: it's tricky what is a bootlegger
0: and what is not it's almost like it comes down to taste like if you're representing the brand in a positive light then you're you're okay but if you're sort of taking advantage of the brand then it's not okay
1: Yeah, it's definitely a fine line. Yeah, Um, But also it's, I don't even know where you start now in terms of reselling.
0: Oh, I know. Oh, it's totally. I
1: I mean, everyone's reselling everything. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (laughs) So there's this whole other secondary market that exists and where, you know, with my product, that gray exists, which even market does it fall into now? Yeah. Because, you know, people will tie dye a t-shirt and then sell it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where does that fall? Yep. So it's... It's, it's very case-by-case. It's even by case. harder to define nowadays. Also, like, you know, people selling older shoes that they have.
0: hmm
1: Yeah, it's, it's a complicated... Um,
0: Do you like the momentum that it's, that it's, you know, the direction that we're going in where, like, all the rules are getting rewritten of, like, what is considered real and not real and authorized and unauthorized? It's, like, totally everything. Every rule is thrown out the window at this yeah,
1: point. Yeah. I like the idea that people are buying more vintage and, you know, like buying older models and rather than newer models. Yeah. And that things can be given a second life. Mm-hmm. So like in terms of like creating like a circular economy, like I really like that. I think that's a positive. Yeah. Um, of what's happening. But then again, there's the whole other side of resale where it's just, you know, like hype focused. Mm-hmm. So it's just, is that really
0: helping positive.
1: like create a more sustainable future?
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah.
1: But I think there is, like, an area of, like, yeah, like the vintage side and, Mm -hmm. you know, remaking something that already exists and, you know, whatnot.
0: Yeah. Um, Where do you see the future of this Studio ALCH brand of of yours now?
1: Um, I think we're very much still, like, a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Industry, in terms of, like, the fashion industry, is kind of, like, at a point of change at the moment, I think. Uh, You know, a lot of, like, traditional... um, methods are kind of being changed you know fashion week doesn't really hold this I don't know the same momentum as it used to um changes in kind of like how we view gender and then you know the segregation of men's and women's fashion week seems a little bit ah, yeah you know like outdated uh, and then also there's so many underground brands that come up and then don't even do fashion week Mm -hmm. so it's like also with that in one hand, on the other hand, we're really facing this whole, like, crisis of, you know, sustainability and, to be honest, like, the best thing to do with fashion is to make nothing new at all. Yeah. Because that we really shouldn't be adding anything new. Mm-hmm. So, for me, I'm trying to create a business that's really, the impact is really low and redesigning everything and seeing how much we can create out of, you know, like, dead stock fabrics or pre-existing products to really try and control whatever that we put out. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of about like figuring that out ourselves and, you know, moving forward. Uh, yeah. It's it's a difficult situation because we're just balancing so many different things. And I think the industry is really at a point of change. Mm-hmm. And we talk like we talk about ever, how everyone's going to change. But realistically, fast fashion is such a huge industry. Yeah. And then you can say that, you know, maybe it's the consumers that really need to change their patterns of purchasing. But it's also brands really need to take control. It's kind of like everyone really needs to make a conscious effort. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where, like, the industry is in, you know, five to ten years.
0: Have you faced criticism on what you create? Have you heard any, like, what's the number one criticism you hear?
1: Um, I guess price point.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So I think there's, like, there's also there's, there's this disparity between consumers and, you know, understanding how much work goes into a garment. Yeah, you know how much labor there is because it's really hard to justify that when you can see something online for like five dollars
0: it's yeah and it's like
1: why does this cost five dollars and this doesn't and it's like you shouldn't be buying that five dollar thing like you should be investing in you know garments that will last longer it's a it's a difficult situation Yeah. Uh, yeah i just read um Patagonia's book. Mm -hmm. Have you read that?
0: Yvonne Chouinard. Yeah. 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 Oh
1: my God. It's amazing.
0: It makes you just want to stop everything and like (laughs) just stop creating, period. Yeah,
1: basically. But I mean, I think that's a really good book for anyone who's like interested in streetwear to read Mm -hmm. because it really explains, you know, like the impact and how you could be purchasing something that's, you know, like longer lasting and, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It is hard when you see fast fashion and what they're selling stuff for. And it's like, you're right, most consumers who are not sort of savvy about design and, like, you know, the, the time it takes to make something are like, I'm just going to go to Uniqlo and buy that thing for $5. Yeah. Why should I buy your thing?
1: Yeah, but I think that's just about education. Mm-hmm. You know, like, educating consumers to understand, you know, the process. Yeah. Um, yeah, and why something costs X amount and why something else costs that amount.
0: Yeah, when you look at yourself five to ten years from now, do you, you – you should see the look on her face right now. It's like a deer in headlights. Um, now, when you picture yourself five to ten years from now, do you want Studio ALCH to be like, you know, a big company with many employees and you're overseeing this whole operation? Or do you like the fact that it is like literally, you know, you sort of behind the scenes on everything?
1: Um, I mean, we definitely could have a few more employees. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of – I have it in – I'm in two minds about it. Yeah. You know, when you go to uni, you kind of have this idea of what a brand is and it's like this big powerhouse and, like, mm-hmm. that's what you're driving towards. But I also love the idea of keeping it quite small and, you know, like like nurturing that relationship and, you know, really having, you know, like controlling everything and having it all, you know, sustainable and, like, yeah. really managing that. Right. And I love the idea of, like, I like smaller communities. And mm-hmm. I think a brand becomes... Something else when it becomes a huge company, like a corporation, yeah. As opposed to, you know, a small underground label. I think there's pros and cons of both. Totally. Uh,
0: and t- do you currently have a preference of which way you're leaning?
1: Um, I'm kind of deciding at the moment.
0: Yeah. To, t- no, I, I go through the same yeah. decision all the time.
1: Like, do you pull back or do you push more out? Yeah. It's exactly.
0: The more you push out, the you know, the bigger the impact you can make of your message. If you have this sort of machine saying the thing that you want to say, you can make a bigger splash in the world. Yeah. But by making the machine, you're sort of, there's a lot of cons to making the machine also. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just
1: kind of playing it by ear. Mm. Like, as I said, it's very much like work in progress. Yeah. Yeah. Take it day by day.
0: Right. I asked you before what your least favorite thing is of all the, Different duties you do. What is the most favorite thing you do out of all of the responsibilities that you have? Making. Still, you Making. at the sewing machine. Yeah. Mm.
1: That's my favorite thing to
0: do. So, why don't you just delegate everything else? Let's call your boyfriend in here and be. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should just be sewing, and everybody else should be answering the emails and chasing the, you know. I
1: mean, we're a small company, it's right. a financial thing, you know. Mm-hmm. You have to like grow organically. Yeah. You don't want to like expand too fast and then not be able to have the resources there.
0: Do you remember, I don't know how far back this was, but when you decided I don't need to work at the pub, at Foot Patrol or at other brands, I'm doing Studio ALCH 24-7.
1: Yeah, I guess like I had a few Nike projects and I was like, all right, I'm going to give it my best shot Uh because, yeah, I was sort of like, If I don't try and do this once in my lifetime, like, I'm always going to regret it. I'm always going to be like, oh, I could have done that. Yeah. So I was like, now's a better time than ever. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to try.
0: Was it scary to quit your jobs?
1: Yeah, it was scary to just all put it into one and just be like, I'm just going to invest everything I have into this one thing. Uh huh. And yeah, people talk about like... You said on your caption <laughs> today, overnight success. It's really not an overnight success. <laughs> I know. It's a long slog. <laughs> it's a long slog. Yeah, yeah. I think it was you that said it was like the first five years, like, like is are the hardest. It's the make hardest. or break. Yeah. yeah. Yep.
0: That fifth year is the... And what year are you in now? Like It's hard to I say, know.
1: like, in terms of showing a fashion week, like, year two.
0: When did you quit everything? All the jobs? Like,
1: two years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not even at the five-year mark. Right.
0: Yeah. oh <laughs> It's a,
1: It's. I say to my parents. I say it's survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. Who can stay in it the longest? Yep. Will be successful.
0: That's exactly the right. Yeah. Notion to have.
1: Just keep going at it.
0: Yeah. It's a. It's a game of who can hold their breath underwater the longest.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. It's
0: not how talented you are, how amazing you are behind the machine. It's just sustainability in that sense of sustaining yeah, yeah <laughs> different sustainability staying
1: afloat like <laughs>
0: doggy treading paddle. water off. yeah it's doggy like, paddle <laughs> just
1: don't want to drown
0: right right
1: and I don't want to like swim to the edge mm-hmm. it's like yeah. I'm not ready to get out so I'm just gonna and then you're looking around and you're like who else is like still, still in here? the water with me <laughs>
0: right um I know you've only been you know in the industry for a short amount of time but To When you see somebody who's young and up and coming, what advice would you give them to sort of get to fulfill their dream?
1: I mean, other than just like keep treading water. Yeah, (laughs) Um, that's it. (laughs) I mean, I like to say like just talk to everyone. Mm. Like if you're at an event, like just talk to everyone because you you never know who works for who and like, you know, what their role is and like you can just make so many great connections with people that – Are totally unassuming. Totally.
0: It's usually the unassuming ones that are like the power movers, right? (laughs) Like Yeah.
1: And you know, the more people there's for every project that people see emerge, ten existed that didn't happen. mm -hmm. so it's like it's mostly about just trying to stay positive. Yeah. And I don't do this, but like celebrate your wins.
0: You're still learning how to do that.
1: Yeah. But I know I should and I know that's a good thing to t- tell people. It's like...
0: Why do you think it's important to do that? I don't do it either, by the way. I'm really good yeah, at it.
1: Um, yeah. I think because, as I said, there's <laughs> 10... For every win, you had like 10 losses. You're managing Yeah, losses, yeah. And it's like, you're forever problem solving. I mm-hmm. feel like all I do all day is just problem solve. And it's like, okay, new issue, resolve it, move on. New issue, resolve it, move on. Yeah. And then sometimes you're like, no issue, and you're like, Alright, well what's the next one? So like, no, if you're like, oh this is enjoy. great. Yeah. yeah enjoy. Like, oh, like I'm out here in Dubai. Like, yes, we worked really hard to get here, but like need to kind of enjoy it while you're here.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Before so, you go back.
0: So since you've uh, you've quit your job and you've done this full time, are you happy with that decision? Like
1: I miss the free time.
0: The free time of what? oh because now you're all in on your thing yeah free time meaning like you worked at foot patrol there's a time when you clock out and you're like
1: yeah so when you turn your hobby (laughs) into like your hobby and your Mm -hmm. passion into a business yeah it's no longer really your hobby yep so there's there's pros and cons of that as well it's like you could have you know a day job and then you pursue your hobby and you enjoy it Mm -hmm. when the hobby is your job it's a very different experience yeah
0: There's so, no vacation, there's no time off, right? There's no
1: vacation. People are like, yeah. oh, just put an out-of-office on. I was like, you can't just do that.
0: Great, great point. You
1: can't put on. I haven't o- out put of an out-of-office out of office on. Office
0: on in 15 years.
1: <laughs> yeah. You,
0: you just can't, yeah.
1: No, you can't. You're just working everywhere you go. You take two weeks. And sometimes when I go on holiday, I'd rather just be at the office because I'm, mm-hmm. it's not really a holiday when you're just sitting on your laptop. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Right.
1: And even when you're like, I'm not going to look at my emails for two hours. You know they're coming in.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Might as well just look. <laughs> Sometimes
1: I put an out of office on for like a day when I'm traveling internationally, just mm-hmm. so I'm like, just so you know I, I literally can't answer your email.
0: Right, right, right. But that's it. Yeah. There's no like, hey, sorry,
1: I'm on vacation.
0: Mm-hmm. None of that. Yeah. So you're you're still getting used to this like never not turning off thing.
1: Well, I'm I'm like a workaholic already. Uh-huh. So yeah. I was, like, kind of used to it, but this is intense. So.
0: Mm. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how everything progresses for you. Same.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what will happen next? Yeah, we'll
0: do a check back episode soon.
1: <laughs> In a couple, five, Maybe when I hit the five-year mark Let's do and that. see how I'm going.
0: Let's do that. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm so honored.
0: Okay. Bye. Hey, thank you for listening to this inspiring episode with one of my favorite young designers, Alexandra Louise Champion Hackett, aka Mini Swoosh. God, I love saying her name. You can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And also do us a favor and please leave a rating and comment to tell us what you think of the show. We now have almost 600 reviews and a stellar five-star rating. And I want to thank everyone who's left a review and a comment. In fact, if you have a question about the show, drop it in the review, and I will answer some on a future episode. Our associate producer is Christina Hong. Photography for this episode was captured by Ali Imam. You can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com radio. As always, connect with me on Twitter or Instagram. You can find me at Jeff Staple. This episode was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic at Seoul DXB in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. The interludes were recorded during the stay-in-shelter policies to combat the spread of corona, and so we do apologize for any subpar audio. We're doing the best we can to continue to bring you the stories that inspire. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype on Hypebeast Radio.